Remember the boiling frog fable, where a frog that is placed in the pan will boil to death as the heat is gradually increased? The thought is that the frog lacks awareness of the rising temperature. Well, it actually has been disproved. What hasn't been disproved is the very real lack of awareness that plagues the masses when they're being fed a little bit of lies at a time, until the accumulation of these almost imperceptible changes significantly alter the course of that society. It's Saturday, April 17th, 2021, and we're taking a look at what's going on with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the updates in the Chauvin's case, along with the fatal police shootings of Wright and Toledo. We also check in with Georgia in its post-voting rights bill era. Finally, we take a look at the transgenders finishing what feminists started and the escalating tensions between the world powers, namely Afghanistan and Russia. <coughs> Welcome to Lifering, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what's going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Vadim and Paul. How are you, brothers? Hello. I just want to say it's been really nice knowing you guys. <laughs> like, okay. like so far. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm excited for this weekend. How about yourself, Alex? Oh, I'm I'm enjoying the weather. Um, like I said, uh, it's it's been it's been Great. Spring is officially here. The air is crisp. The sky is blue. <laughs> Poetic. Thank you, William. Hey, uh, before we begin, I just wanted to address you, our dear listener. We know that you have been listening for some time now, and we want to let you know that we appreciate you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, would you please consider sharing it with someone, you know, with a close friend of yours or someone who would benefit from it? We would really appreciate that. Anyways, we're going to go into our top five. Well, as always, we've prepared five stories, top five, I guess, uh, headlines that are uh, shaking the world today and or specifically the place where we live, our country. And um, we're going to dive into our first one. And it's about COVID because it's still around, hasn't really disappeared yet. And so here we go. This word pandemic, to be honest, uh, I, I feel like it's lost its meaning. It was something, you know, terrifying because of the physical consequences. And yet today we are more concerned with the losses of freedoms than we are with the health effects of the pandemic, just because of how it's been playing out. Now, it's worth noting that the cases of COVID are alarmingly high across the globe. I don't know if you guys have seen the rise of cases around the world. It is it's almost reaching now the same level as it was in the middle of the winter around the world. Even, you know, take Michigan, for example, right now. Right. It's really yeah. going on the up and up. There's some counties where 90% of the hospitals are filled. And I know it doesn't feel like that where we live, you know, and probably for a lot of people because they're like, eh, everything's opening up. But globally, something is happening. And not just cases, deaths are rising as well. Now, you might feel like the pandemic is over, but think about other countries. In US and UK, they say we have these, you know, massive vaccination efforts and they are said to drive the numbers down. But countries like India and Brazil are struggling immensely. On Monday, for example, Governor of Michigan, Whitmer, asked the uh, White House to up the federal allotment of vaccines doses for her state. Now, they're still facing the worst surge of COVID cases in the U.S. Biden, in response, said, no, nah, not going to happen. We're not going to really up the, you know, we're not going to preferentially treat your state, but we can help in distribution efforts. Now, in other news, Georgia, North Carolina, and Colorado 
where the first states to shut down the sites where Johnson & Johnson vaccine was administered due to minor adverse side effects, as, as it was stated in an earlier article. Then on Wednesday, the CDC advisory committee met to take a look um, over the six cases of blood clotting that happened. All of the six cases, uh, all of those six were women from 18, ages 18 to 48. And uh, so this Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been given up to, uh, they say, 7 million Americans at this point. And so they've now called for a pause which in turn only heightened the doubt in the whole vaccine, and it just added to the trouble you know, that we had with AstraZeneca last week. Um, here's a quote that I got from Cheddar News. Uh, some countries, they go on to say, some countries that have been giving the shot are already reporting that the pause has added to skepticism about the vaccines and the sense that between Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, developed countries are dumping second-rate vaccines on poorer nations. In the African nation of Malawi, a doctor says people have been asking, quote, how do we get rid of the vaccine in our body? So, as you can see, like, I mean, this, is, this really has dealt a blow, I guess, to the whole vaccination effort. Like, hey, it's not just one vaccine, now it's two vaccines, you know, and uh, it's, it's really going to slow down the vaccination efforts here in the U.S. And finally, well, uh, what we have is CDC has been looking into these breakthrough cases of people who got infected with COVID despite getting the vaccine. So they're saying about 5,800 people, again, from the 60 million that have been vaccinated, so still a very small number, but uh, already about 5,800 uh, got COVID again, and about 7% of them had to be hospitalized. I know that the vaccine efficacy rate is somewhere around 90, 97%, right? So still, we're not even close with 5,000 versus 66 million, but... It's, you know, the, the vaccine just has been administered. So we're yet to see what it's going to be. I know some other countries have said that there's going to be a booster shot required. And uh, probably from year to year, you're going to have to get this COVID vaccine. Now add it to the list of all your other flus. and Or hold on. No, flus. Is, we don't have flu anymore, right? Isn't that the case? Like if you think, think about think it. There's still a vaccine. There's still a vaccine for it. But hey, where did it go? Who knows? So what do you guys think should be the approach to this pandemic? Do you, um, do, you, do you think that the measures, you know, that we have in place should be there? Or do you think just let it run its course and let the people decide at their own peril what to do? Because it's been so long. And look, we're, now the cases are rising again. Did any lockdowns, vaccine efforts, is it, is it really helping? Is it working? I don't think it's good to undermine confidence in the vaccines like the government was doing where they call for a pause if, you know, uh, what was it, six cases of blood clotting um, out of 7 million doses. If you give 7 million people a Tylenol, you know, there's, there's bound to be people with adverse health, health effects. Uh, it just goes to show that if you need to take it, go ahead and take it. If if not, then don't do it just because that's what everybody's doing. In my opinion, I definitely think that there should be um, more clearly defined conditions, as in when the country could go back to normal or as like when COVID restrictions would be lifted. I think this would kind of help the morale and this would give people hope. So as in something to strive for, a common goal. Um, and we're not really getting that from Fauci you know, and from the leaders, um, mm -hmm. or Biden. So Fauci is being ambiguous as possible. Um, so Jim Jordan, a congressman from Ohio asked Fauci, um, when will we go back to normal? And 
he responded with, when we get the level of infection in this country low enough that it is not a really high threat. So there's no specific number. It's not as in 90% of all people would get vaccinated or we get down to a certain amount of deaths per year or if we hit a certain amount of cases, new cases a year. There's no number. It's just whenever it ends, it'll end. And so at this point, people are kind of getting tired. There was, however, a number that they mentioned that was what, like 70, well, they didn't say that that's when everything's going to go down, mm-hmm. like all those, but 75%, I think, is when they were talking, right? We covered it in one of the, I think, two episodes back or something. Well, this is when Jim Jordan was asking him. Right, Fauci specifically questioning him. Yep, yeah, yep. yeah and w- w- with all of this, you know, I think it's important to understand that people um, around us have enough reasons to be worried and, and act according to their fears and concerns. And I think it's fair to expect some precautionary measures, I guess, from the people around us. Like, yeah, we should have some measures, you're right, uh, to, to an extent. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's been too long. And mm-hmm. w- it's clearly shown that we don't know what to do with this virus. It's still around. No, no, you know, despite all the efforts to eradicate it from the world, it's still here. And it's, uh, it's doing its, its work. And it makes me wonder, you know, as I looked at this, if the third world countries are, you know, the ones that are seeing these huge rises, did, maybe they didn't take measures in the beginning as, you know, strict as Australia or, or U.S. did, right? Or U.K. for that ma- you know, matter. Maybe that's why they're seeing the consequences right now. I mean, think about like India, Brazil are struggling right now. Why? Brazil, for example, was, you know, the the president of Brazil was denying the whole COVID from the very beginning, beginning. And now they're facing, you know, this surge. So just kind of makes you wonder if that's something that played into that. I think a big benefit to the U.S. was just how much access we have to clean water and facilities and things like that, just because uh, something that greatly improved our our transmission rates, and I mean lower them, was just the fact that people were had to relearn how to wash their hands. You know, that that's what was holding us back. Versus you, you look at countries like Brazil, uh, where there's a huge, uh, huge portion of the population that's just impoverished. They're living in slums and favelas and things like that. Um, and so the uh, living conditions like that will naturally bring about more transmission. I guess I guess we do have some advantage in the, you know, in the more richer countries of. With yeah, it's not necessarily a, a political thing, right? Well, we'll keep an eye on all of this, you know, development as as it you know, as it goes on every single week until it's hopefully completely gone. Will there be a day when we finally have no COVID to talk about? I don't know, but until then, we will continue to hope that once it's over, United States of America will still be united. Well, the trial, uh, moving on to the second story, the trial of Derek uh, Chauvin continues. And this week, the defense had its turn to present their case. They mainly focused on his previous drug abuse. Uh, they also talked about him possibly faking a panic attack, uh, although the judge strike that down uh, and limited the extent of character testimonies on Floyd. Um, what else was uh, going on? Derek, Sh- uh, Derek Chauvin, Chauvin's defense team called a former medical examiner who testified that he believed that George Floyd died of a combination of pre-existing heart condition, drug use, and exposure to carbon monoxide from the tailpipe of the police car he was next to as Chauvin kneeled on him. Did you hear that one? I have not, actually. Not about the tailpipe. Yeah, and then they called in another expert, or I think it was, was it cross-examined or... or 
basically there was from the other side, you know, another doctor said, no, actually the levels of uh, carbon monoxide in his blood were not high or, or low or whatever, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. significantly different. And it ended with uh, Chauvin uh, invoking the Fifth Amendment, which is the right not to testify so that he doesn't get himself into trouble, I guess. So closing arguments will be on Monday, upcoming Monday. And then the jury will be ready to bring the verdict sometimes uh, next week. So as early as next week, we'll know whatever the verdict is. Now, about 10 miles away from the courthouse on Sunday, April 11th, um, Dante, what is it, Demetrius? Demetrius Wright, a 20-year-old African-American man, was fatally shot by police officer Kimberly Potter during a traffic stop and attempted arrest for where they were attempting to arrest him for an outstanding warrant in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Now, he was originally pulled over for a traffic violation, but then the warrant thing came up and the outrage was instantaneous. I mean, there there were protests like immediately after this. And the the first story that was circulating is that he, I, I think, so he got shot, he drives off, and I think he gets on the phone with his mom, right? And he was talking to her and I think that's where the story with the air freshener came out, right? So it was circling, hey, man gets pulled over for air freshener and all of a sudden, you know, gets shot. But there's there's a lot more to the story. In fact, I've heard that he his warrant was that he tried to steal, he assaulted a woman mm-hmm. and tried to steal her money from her, I believe, her rent money or something like that. So there's a lot more to it. I mean, he wasn't, you know, an innocent guy. Sure, it was a regular traffic stop. But anyways, on Monday, the National Guard has been deployed uh, to the Minneapolis suburb of Brooklyn Center after, um, you know, after this incident happened. And they were deployed to stop, um, you know, the protests, uh, which, you know, turned into looting of the stores and and all Mm -hmm. the places down there. And so the main problem is that the ex-officer who shot him Though uh, she thought she was deploying a taser, she actually pulled out her you know, service weapon and, and uh, they called it an accidental discharge. And so she ended up, she did say, have you watched the video? Because she was saying like taser, taser, taser. And then mm-hmm. next thing you know, she pulls the trigger and it's a shot. Mm-hmm. And you could, and I think uh, she even, uh, like in her voice, you could hear that she immediately realizes that she made a mistake. And Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> right after she says, I, I think I just shot him yeah. or something. Along those lines. At which point he drives off and then later he, he crashed, yeah. She was a 26-year veteran of the force. So she's been with the department for quite a long time. Anyway, so she's resigned on Wednesday, uh, three days after. So did the police chief of Brooklyn Center PD, and they did this in an attempt to de-escalate detentions. And on Thursday, she was charged with a second-degree manslaughter, which on the same day she posted bail and was arraigned. So what are, what are your thoughts on Dante Wright's shooting? It seemed like the the police officer was panicked. I mean, you, you could tell that from the story where she was in a panicked state. She was like kind of fidgeting. And when she even pulled out the taser, she was kind of yelling it. And so um, she was in such a state that she couldn't tell her left hand and her right hand um, apart. Mm-hmm. Because usually, um, and you could see it in the video, um, the taser would be on your left hip and then the gun would be on your right hip. So she must have just went to the wrong hip. Um, very unfortunate situation, but I definitely think that um, she'll be prosecuted for, for it because this is a costly mistake. This is not something that a trained police officer should mm-hmm. be making. Yeah, it's definitely an unfortunate situation. Um, and I, 
I heard a take on this where maybe some things could be changed, like maybe move the taser away from the left hip, maybe put it in a different position so you don't associate the taser with the hip, but with like maybe somewhere around your chest area mm. or around your knee. So it's not the same motion as pulling out your gun. Um, that being said, I don't know if this warrants riots, though, because clearly this wasn't a racist act. This wasn't her seen uh, African-American and shooting at him on purpose, but it was clearly an accident. And I think a person of any race in that position of Dante Wright would have been shot either way. So unfortunate, but I, I don't think it warrants riots. Right. And it w I wouldn't even classify this as a police brutality because it's not like she intended. I mean, we can talk about what she thought, but she it's didn't not, intend to. It's not police brutality. It's just absolute incompetence. Now, I don't think that her address should have been leaked or her, her, you know, personal information. People go rioting at her house and all that stuff, uh, which is what ended up happening. But uh, I do think it's an inexcusable mistake. You're a 26-year veteran of the police force, and you can't tell between the weapon on your left hip or your right hip. Mm -hmm. I understand that it's a high-stakes situation, and, you know, they encounter those all the time. But after 26 years, you'd think you would be somewhat more steely nerve for example if you're if you get in a car accident because you mixed up the gas and brake pedal you know you'd expect that from a 16 year old just started driving not from someone who's been driving 26 years there was a concern um about jurors of chauvin's case being affected by the you know the shooting uh and they even asked for them to be sequestered uh meaning this like when when something like this happens they actually can put him in a hotel and uh, they're not allowed to read newspapers, you know, watch television, no access to the Internet and only limited contact with like a few people. But judge actually rejected the defense request for this sequestering, um, you know, but because there were fears that this might, again, kind of sway the jurors one way or the other. Right. And probably one way for sure. So uh, and then toward the end of the week, another story came into headlines about the earlier fatal shooting police shooting of 13-year-old Adam Toledo. This happened last month, and it raises an important question. So, hey, f first of all, have you seen the the video? Yeah. That yep. was released? Really troubling. Yeah. Well, from, from what, in what way? Well, I guess uh, just when, after he had shot him, that he was doing CPR and seeing and seeing the mm -hmm. guy mm -hmm. dying. That was, that was really disturbing to me. But I, I was a little bit concerned about how the media portrayed it because they cropped the body cam footage uh, to leave out the part where he's turning around with the gun in his hand. And he, he threw it behind the fence um, at the very last second. So the officer had something like 0.8 seconds to respond, right. um, at which point he, he had to be ready to shoot. Um, but the bigger question is, you know, what is, what is this 13-year-old doing at 1 in the morning with a 21 year old that's got a gun and so the police were called because they heard gunshots mm -hmm. um which apparently it, wasn't fired by by the 13 year old it was it was his friend right no yeah i think his friend passed the gun on to him because it's like mm -hmm. oh hey yeah i'm i'm going to jail if, if they find this on me but you won't so mm -hmm. here take this and run whenever stories like this come out you see pictures of the 13 year old and then you see uh the news media will share a picture of him that where he looks like he's 10, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was so innocent. He liked SpongeBob. I think his, his mom was on interview saying something like that. But this kid, like his peers called him little homicide. Like he was, he was involved in some sketchy business. I mean, you know, as I was looking into this, I'm like, what is the, the here's the questions going through my, you know, head. What is the job of a police officer? What do we expect them to do? Isn't it a given that the reason they carried 
you know, deadly force or, or weapons of deadly force so that they can enforce the laws that keep the country's social order together. Whoever decides, you know, to get over to the other side, so to speak, like, you know, to the criminal side, well, they will face or must face the grave reality that there might be deadly consequences. Whether you're 13, 31, 91, it doesn't matter, right? Police have a job to do and it's, you know, incomparable to podcasters or, you know, programmer job or news anchor, you know, I don't know, social activist job. I definitely think it's a high stakes job. Um, similar to like what a doctor would have, like a mistake that they would make mm-hmm. is someone's life or yep. some something criminal or, you know, just a lot more high stakes than like you mentioned, a programmer. So I definitely don't think everyone should be able to do it. And in my opinion, I think there should be a lot more training and there should be like, for instance, a bachelor's degree required. Um, so like four years of training or four years of schooling to where a person can get to a level where they could be competent enough or um, just knowledgeable enough to enforce the law. Anyways, I was thinking about it today. Why police? Why now? Uh, why are they in the spotlight? And maybe I'm making stuff stuff up here, but hear me out. The, the police is the last and most powerful enforcer of social order. And a, as the progressive left is trying to uproot everything that, that this country has been so far, you know, in order to rebuild it like the Bolsheviks, you know, of the, la- uh, of the last century in Russia. Maybe this is an intentional stab at the police. You know, they want to taint the image of the police in the country so that people would turn on them. And when that happens, who's going to respond to the 9-11 call? That's the big question. And here's the third story for this week. It's not new, but there is a fresh development in it. Uh, It's about the voting rights and implications of the voting rights bill that has been passed in Georgia. So Georgia cleaned up its voting law, I guess you could put it that way, making it harder for fraud to happen. And depending on which side you take, it made it easy. I mean, I I would say it made it easy to vote as as easy as before. Really, it just cleaned up just some ways, avenues of where fraud could have potentially happened. And so these past two weeks, we've we've covered it in depth. So now we hear that after the baseball league left the state, following by some big corporation boycotts, um, well, here's the news this week from, from Georgia. Take a listen. Taking aim at the restrictive voting laws of Georgia, Antoine Fuqua and Will Smith are withdrawing production of their upcoming drama, Emancipation, from the state. Fuqua, who's directing and producing the project, along with Smith, who's starring in as well as producing the project, made the announcement Monday. Together in a joint statement, the two said, At this moment in time, the nation is coming to terms with its history and is attempting to eliminate vestiges of institutional racism to achieve true racial justice. Adding in part, we cannot in good conscience provide economic support to a government that enacts regressive voting laws that are designed to restrict voter access. The film finds Smith portraying an enslaved man who emancipated himself from a southern plantation and joined the Union Army. However, he was known for being the subject of a series of photographs, most famously the scourged back that starkly showed his scars from being whipped while a slave. The drama now becomes the first major production to leave the state because of the new law. So basically... They've been working on this movie, you know, and I guess they decided to join the bandwagon of everybody moving out of Georgia. Yeah, so it's like one thing for companies to take this upon themselves to, like, call out um, Georgia for its voter bill. But now, like, Will Smith is doing it. So I'm just wondering why so many people are getting involved in politics. And this is a very unfortunate situation that they're doing this. Um, I mean, this is 
going to be perceived as a call to action by red states. I doubt this will change, you know, anyone's mind. I doubt the governor of Georgia is going to be like, okay, well, if Will Smith moves out, then that, that then I definitely have to go and change my voter bill. So I definitely think this is just increasing tensions between um, red and blue states. And I think the country now is more divided than ever because of these moves by companies and Will Smith and these movie directors and what what is, what is this going to lead to is my question is this going to cause high taxes on those companies or maybe somehow Georgia is going to prevent any other movies being filmed there is there going to be certain tax breaks for companies that side with the Georgia Georgia voter bill so where is this going to lead ultimately this is causing more division and who knows it might even lead to civil war what really surprised me is how kind of short-sighted and surface level this reaction from will smith is you know i remember an interview with uh, quentin tarantino where he was talking about uh he was shooting Django unchained back in 2011 or whatever it was and he was conflicted about using local southern uh black people as extras so you need a lot of a lot of extras for the, the plantation scenes and things like that. But he went through with it because it was honest work. Overall, uh, it was a good deed to provide business for locals. So when you're shooting a movie in a location, you're not just gracing them with your presence and giving them the honor of, of hosting your your movie set or whatever. It's it's a big deal to local businesses. And Georgia has a, uh, I would say, majority African-American population, right? So I'm just curious what their next move is. Hmm. So in a sense, they're taking, they're actually hurting Georgia by, because I mean, they're hurting the people of Georgia, right? Yeah, it's just like any of the other, any of the other virtue signaling companies. I mean, even the MLB, like you remove that all-star game and tons of revenue is lost. So who are they really punishing? You know, so who made this decision? It's the governor and maybe um, the, the people that are helping him in this decision, right? But why should the people be punished for this? It's in a sense punishing the Georgia people, their economy, the MLB game being removed, this movie being removed where local businesses are suffering. So that in a sense to me is seems wrong because you're saying, hey, you voted for this person. Now, in a sense, we're going to take this away from you. So in a sense, you're punished. Yeah. Well, I think it has to do with because you have to buy rights to film in a state, right? So they they would be paying a certain sum to the Georgia government. But I don't see how they can work around that with, you know, the harm they're doing to the local community. My my concern was here is that, you know, so we have uh, we have government being concerned about how, you know, even our own president commented on the political situation. And now we have all these other people coming out and commenting essentially on something that a local government decided on. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet they can freely, you know, make statements with you know, with all of their huge followings, they can you know speak to them. Here, here's another. Here's even something that's more alarming. Um, is this headline from CNN, which came out on Wednesday? It goes like this: Amazon, Google, a GM, Starbucks, and hundreds of companies join to oppose voting restrictions. And you know, and, and it goes on to say that hundreds of prominent executives from high-profile companies, including the ones I just listed, the signed uh, a statement that opposes discriminatory legislation, is how they label it, that makes voting harder. The statement printed Wednesday in an advertisement in the New York Times was organized by Ken uh, Chenault and Ken Frazier, two of America's most prominent black corporate leaders. Now, the statement called Democracy a beautiful, Beautifully American Ideal 
And for it to work, we must ensure the right to vote for all of us. Uh, what else they've got here? We, we should, we, we all should feel a responsibility. They say to defend the right to vote and to oppose any discriminatory legislation on measures that restrict or prevent any eligible voter from having an equal and fair opportunity to cast a ballot. It continued, and then the statement, which was described as nonpartisan, doesn't directly address any specific legislation, like notably in Georgia, Texas, uh, and other key states where Republican lawmakers are trying to clamp down on ballot access. Now, it's worth noting that Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, and Home Depot declined to add their names because, well, they were worried because, you know, the backlash they might face since they're explicitly based in, in Georgia. Now, there's this whole new movement. I don't know if you've seen the picture. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Whatever you see the story of the voting rights, it's the GVM, Georgia Voters Matter. Have you seen it? Um, and it's got like a little capital image on it and yeah, Georgia vote. No, I have not. <laughs> well, that's the, 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 there you go. And you think they would be happy that the you know the new laws are actually there to protect Georgia voters from you know all of these illegal votes and you know fraud that could possibly happen. But as a lot of their left ideas, everything is upside down, and what helps the country as a whole serves a deterrent to the left. And it really calls for a much better attention to their campaigning efforts from us. I'm just waiting for them to sign papers where they condemn the voter ID laws in other democratic states and every single nation in the EU. That's, you're going to be waiting for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, like I said, it, it, you know, all of this just, um, I guess, nudges us to pay attention more to what these people are standing up. I mean, on the left, they're standing up for. And uh, who knows? We might be voting by email or something in the future, you know, because that's all it's going to take is just, you know, whatever, choose your whatever email you've gotten, send in your ballot like that or some uh, other kind of crazy disconnected from reality method welcome to the lightning round so this is the part of the show where we cover the um, stories that weren't important enough to get into our top five but they're um, still important and so um, the first story is iran says will enrich uranium to highest level ever after natan's attack so Iran on Sunday described a blackout at its underground Natanz atomic facility. Um, they call it an act of nuclear terrorism. So while there was no immediate claim of responsibility, suspicion fell immediately on Israel, where its um, media uniformly reported a devastating cyber attack orchestrated by the country caused by blackout. So in a sense, it's increased tensions between Israel and Iran that were already pretty tense. So definitely interesting to see where this goes. You know, one of the things, uh, so they were, there were sanctions imposed on how much they can produce whatever they were producing from the nuclear perspective, right? And they were at 20%, I believe, at this point, which the sanctions or however, the, the restrictions were at 7%, if I'm not mistaken, of how much enrichment they can do of uranium. Um, now they said they're going to go all the way up to 70%. And that's why they pretty much stopped the whole like, deal, you know, because... Uh, they're not even willing right now to come to the table and talk about any kind of treaties or deals or anything like that. So well, it's just I'm sure they could pull out of their gender studies budget to bring it up to 100. Iran, yeah. Well, uh, another another story that we have uh, in the world of politics is, uh, is it's not surprising, but Biden's administration apparently has struck an agreement with Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras to temporarily increase border security. Well, guess why? in an effort to stop 
migrants from reaching the U.S. border. They say that according to White House Secretary Jen Psaki, Mexico will maintain a deployment of about 10,000 troops while Guatemala has sent 1,500 police and military personnel to its southern southern border and Honduras deployed 7,000 police and military. And Guatemala will also set up 12 checkpoints along the migratory route through the country. And Coinbase is an app where you can uh, you can trade cryptocurrencies and it's kind of like a crypto wallet. They debuted on the market this week and fetched a $85 billion valuation. In other news, uh, there was this Lieutenant Nazario, who is a black and Latino man. He was being pulled over by a cop. You know, he let him up. And apparently for about an hour or so, he was uh, just not pulling over. And he said that it was a dark stretch of road or something like that. So he was just waiting to, you know, pull into this gas station eventually. Well, when he did pull into the gas station, the police were obviously on the edge. Hey, this guy hasn't been pulling, pulling over for a while. So they approach him and ask him to get out of the vehicle. And he's like, hey, I'm, a, you know, I'm in the military. You know, what are you guys, why are you treating me like that? Let's talk. And they're like, no, we're past the point of talking. This is the time when you're getting out of the car. And so this whole thing ensued, and, and uh, next thing, you, you know, they didn't shoot him, uh, thankfully, but they did, you know, the, one of the police officers pulled out a pepper spray and pepper sprayed the guy, at which point, you know, compliance came immediately um, as he was trying to, you know, deal with all the pepper spray in his face. He, he, you know, he opened the door, and what it ended with is that the police officer that, that was um, uh, pepper spraying him was, uh, I believe he was let go, and there was a lawsuit filed by this man. What was his name? Nazario? Lieutenant Nazario? I mean, he did drive for a whole hour before getting finally, like, pulling over. I don't know what he expected by trying to play the army card or, like, using his... He, I saw in the video he's wearing his army fatigues for... I don't know what clout he was expecting to get. So the next story has to deal with abortion. Um, Ohio can enforce ban on Down syndrome abortion. So a federal law appeals court ruled on Tuesday that Ohio can enforce a 2017 law banning abortions when medical tests show that a fetus has Down syndrome. Ohio's law subjects doctors to license revocations and up to 18 months in prison for performing abortions um, on women that knew that their uh, baby future baby was going to have down syndrome so if they aborted this fetus um or if they had a reason to believe that this condition was present then um you know the doctors would get penalized for this so this is definitely progress and definitely something you don't see from every state so the supreme court has voted 5-4 to halt a a restriction that the california government wanted to place at at home worship um so the reason that one of the conservative judges swung over to the well, what still ended up being the minority was that, you know, these restrictions like, oh, you're only allowed to have three uh, people from three different households in your home. And so that was kind of a blanket restriction. It wasn't specifically targeting religious practices is what they said, but it was still overruled. So we're happy that the government is not peeking through our blinds and seeing who we have over. So we were we were sitting actually... Um a few days ago, preparing, you know, going through the list of the stories, and this came up as a story. We were meeting at 11 p.m., and that's exactly when this has happened, around 11 uh, at night uh, in Indianapolis uh, in the FedEx facility. A gunman uh, walked in and shot apparently uh, eight people, if I'm not mistaken, four of them outside of the FedEx facility and four inside. Uh, what am I seeing in this article? Four of them were, at least four of them were, 
members of Indianapolis Sikh, commu- Sikh. Sikh like yep. the Indian Sikh community. Yeah, they don't know the motive for the shooter yet. All I've found is that apparently FBI interviewed this guy last year when his mother called the police to say that her son might commit the suicide by cop. And so they came over and talked to him. But other than that, there is no reason uh, as to why he did it. He did end up um, killing himself. So the next story might come as a shock and surprise to us sitting here, but um, California's only wildfire research center makes scary discovery. So California is bracing for another extreme wildfire season. Um, So we know that 2020 made history, but this is supposedly going to be worse. So over 90% of the state is in a drought and the rainy season, well, it didn't really do much. So um, the research center found that fuel moisture content in the hills and mountains is extremely low, meaning vegetation is parched and primed to ignite. California is budgeting more than $1 billion for wildlife prevention and preparedness efforts this year. So California is still going to have fires and they're just getting worse and worse. Um, I hope they find a solution soon. So Darius is a continental giant rabbit that's four feet, three inches long at full stretch. He holds the Guinness World Record citation for world's longest rabbit. Uh, he was stolen from his home in central England. It wasn't his home. He just lived there. That's it. <laughs> he's quite a, he, he's a giant rabbit. Like we tried, because we read this story with the kids at home as well. We tried to measure, you know, it's like taller than, you know, my seven-year-old kid. Like it's a, it's a giant. <laughs> what are they going to do with a giant rabbit? Yeah. <laughs> Where are they going to hide him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In other news, a parent in New York who, wisely decided to stay anonymous is trying to sue the court to overturn incest laws so that they can marry their adult child. Yeah. I I actually can't believe that that's news. Like at what point do you think that like, Hey, my child looks attractive. I'm going to marry. Like it's just, but you know, what's interesting. I think in, in, in a decade, this might be the new norm. This might be a protected class of people who just, think that that's okay because that that's how they're born that's how they feel i mean what is the difference between this person and somebody who claims to be a different gender right than they are biologically visibly right so this reminds me of the jordan belfort story um where i I was watching one of his interviews and he said that when he was younger and he was doing drugs and he was um flipping penny stocks he him and his friends would try to one up each other in their, in their degeneracy. And that was like the fun thing to do for them. Um, so this is kind of what it seems like where this person is seeing everything that's going on in the world, you know, seeing the Satan shoes, seeing all of these different things and how they get media traction. And I feel like this is another way of saying how much attention can I get by just doing something that's so degenerate. So Gunda is according to this article, an intimate wordless portrait of a pig. From what I gathered from reading it is that it's a serious thing. It's somebody literally just took a camcorder and went and filmed uh, life on a farm. Now, maybe, yeah, maybe there's an artistic, esoteric angle to it, uh, but I think we've officially gone full circle with entertainment. This could not get. I mean, sure, it's, it's a, sure they're following a pig, but but it's also done creatively. I mean. In terms of the way it was filmed, I looked at the trailer. I like how creative can you get with a pig? It's not. It's no, not it's, even it's like it's a it. stunt actor pig. It's just. A <laughs> p- 
No, they 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 put work into it. Um, again, you, you you don't have to go watch it, but I, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look I'm, at it. I think I'm gonna side with Vadim on this one. It seemed like they just got a really fancy camera and they just put it into black and white and just like filmed really up yeah, close. Yeah, the black and white choice was kind of. Uh, so the next story is General Electric is developing a COVID-19 detector that can fit inside an iPhone. Reading directly from the article, is there COVID-19 on this train car? Is there COVID-19 in this restaurant? Is there COVID-19 at this grocery store? Is there COVID-19 in me? So these are all questions that we might have asked ourselves. Um, I, I don't know if I personally did, but hmm. basically General Electric is saying that it's developing a potentially groundbreaking new sensor which can fit into everyday electronics like smartphones and smartwatches to detect specific viruses or bacteria in the air. And I think they're using COVID-19 because it's the hot new thing to kind of to release this. But if it's truly for specific mm-hmm. viruses, so I'm assuming it could detect different viruses, then this could actually be a lot more useful than just COVID-19. They said it's going to take um, two years to develop. So, I mean, in two years, who knows where COVID's going to be. So it's not like it's going to be a practical tool for today, but going forward, um, might be might be a useful thing. It's a conspiracy. They're not telling you what they're actually using it for. I'm just saying, if this is the company Thomas Edison founded, it's turning over in his grave right now. <laughs> All right, and then last bit of our lightning round news uh, are two sport headlines. One is that uh, Matsuya- Hideki Matsuyama carried away the champion title from the Masters, the golf tournament. Um, he also carried away the green jacket. From what I understand, they get to keep it for a year, and then it goes back to Augusta or to back to Georgia, whatever. Oh, keep it. yeah. So he's uh, the first Asian man to win the Mat. What is it called again? Masters? Yeah. Hideki Matsuyama, he, he is Japanese. And so speaking of Japan, Tokyo, Japan is where the next Olympics is going to happen. We're about 100 days from the Olympics. And so now I guess the question is, is it safe enough to host an Olympic game? I mean, that's a big event, right? Like it's always been a huge event in the sporting world. And so will it happen, you know, in the COVID pandemic era? That's a big question still. Well, I'm sure it can. They'll just limit the amount of crowd participating because I'm sure the athletes could stay there six feet apart mostly or get COVID tested. So, Well, that's it for our lightning round stories. And now we go back to the last two of top five. So with a few major things happening in world news this week, I wanted to cover a few stories. Um, Whether these stories are related is for you to decide. So the first story is the USA is pulling out of Afghanistan. Biden is promising to pull out all troops from Afghanistan by September of this year. I think September 11th to be exact. And the United Nations is pushing for a peace treaty with the United States being at the forefront of this. So basically they want the Afghani government and the Taliban um, to have a ceasefire and in a sense come together and have peace. So the Taliban said it can't participate in a peace conference and Istanbul, slated for April 16th, which was yesterday, that had been aimed at reaching a political agreement between the country and Taliban militants. Um, However, they say that it's something they potentially want to do in the future. So we know that American troops were in Afghanistan for a long while, ever since George Bush was um, chasing al-Qaeda for the horrible 9-11 attack. And then when he was tracking down bin Laden, um, well, Obama 
was to be exact. So I think the main reason for pulling out now is that um, these two forces um, should find peace. So the Taliban and the Afghani government, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of American blood has been spilled already to this point. This was called the never ending war has been going on for almost 20 years. And there is opposition, though. So the opposition says that pulling out troops now too quickly might leave a lot of military equipment behind. It might lose American lives, you know, as people are looking to go back to the mm-hmm. United States, there might be some attacks that aren't foreseen. And also this would leave the Afghani government at the whims of the Taliban, which in a sense would let the Taliban roam free and uh, in a sense be a breeding ground for terrorists that might attack the U.S. again. My observations when hearing all this evidence is why now? It seems like the tensions are just as high in Afghanistan. The Taliban leader said a peace treaty would be something they'd consider, but nothing for certain yet. So also, can we really trust the Taliban's word that they're going to pursue this peace treaty later on. So what are your thoughts on this situation? Well, we look at other examples in the Middle East. For example, when uh, when the U.S. pulled out of Iraq, uh, it left a power vacuum, which eventually led to the most recent ISIS caliphate. And so I don't see any reason why it should play out any differently here. But I do think that Biden doesn't have a choice in pulling them out now because don't quote me on this, but I feel like he's going to want to deploy them somewhere else. Yeah, that's what maybe that, that's what I thought at first. You know, like, do we need more power here at home? Are we trying to point them somewhere else, or is this just kind of cleaning up something? Because it was a bipartisan decision back in the days to invade uh, Afghanistan. Uh, but maybe now, I guess, twenty years later, somebody's like, "Oh, we've got Afghanistan," you know, because there there was what was it two thousand five hundred, I believe. Uh, well, roughly, I, I don't have the exact number of lives that were lost in, in Afghanistan. It was a lot, yeah, and it was made more complicated because the CIA was funding the Taliban before we decided to go and fight them. There, it, it seems like there was an agreement with George Bush and Obama and Trump where all of them were cautious with this. They said this was definitely something that pulling out all troops should be considered thoroughly and shouldn't be done all at one time where it really does seem like Biden is forcing this or in, or in a sense, he's trying to do it as quickly as possible. So while we are covering COVID-19, um, what pronouns to use, whether a voting bill should have been passed in America, um, America is on the brink of war. So my next story is Russia is mobilizing troops on its Western border. So this one kind of hits close to home, I think, for all of us sitting here in our studio because we're all of Slavic descent. And so now Russia is mobilizing troops to its western border by the Black Sea. And this action has definitely increased the tension between um, America, Ukraine, and Russia. Biden responded with sanctions, kicking out 10 Russian diplomats and sending warships to the Black Sea. So now there there are obviously two perspectives. So one is from the side of Russia. And so the defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, said Moscow had moved two armies and three paratrooper units to its western border as a part of a large snap drill meant to test combat readiness and respond to what he called threatening military action by NATO. He said that NATO was deploying 40,000 troops and 15,000 pieces of military equipment near Russian borders, mainly in the Black Sea and Baltic regions. Um, and Russia has regularly accused NATO of destabilizing Europe with its troops reinforcements and especially in the Baltics and Poland since the annexation of Crimea. Now, there's the different perspective from America's side and Antony Blinken, I hope I pronounced that correct, said, I met with a Ukrainian foreign minister 
Dmitro Kuleba today to discuss unwavering U.S. support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity. We continue to support Ukraine's Euro-Atlantic integration and integration in the face of Russia's ongoing aggression in the Donbass and Crimea. Biden also said that, uh, and I quote, there's an urgent need to send a signal directly to Putin that what Russia is doing in and around Ukraine is dangerous and destabilizing, even as other parts of the d administration try not to foreclose cooperation on issues such as the Iran nuclear deal, Afghanistan, climate change, and strategic stability. So the thing that stood out to me and that is especially scary in my opinion is that two U U.S. warships are due to arrive in the Black Sea. Um, this week in response to what U.S. and NATO officials say is the largest massing of Russian forces. So two main superpowers both um, kind of have different perspectives on this issue. Russia is saying that America tends to overstay their welcome in countries such as, you know, Afghanistan, um, possibly even having ulterior, ulterior motives. Um, NATO was mobilizing troops before, so they're kind of pointing the blame there. And Russia basically ran military tests to see if they could properly respond to this threat. Now, America and the American perspective, it's saying that Russia is bordering Ukraine, mobilizing its troops. So this is an act of war. And it is unclear um, whether NATO mobilized troops first, but Russia claims it to be true. So another reason is Ukraine is smaller than Russia and Russia would simply bully Ukraine. So America is stepping in to help sending warships. And, and I'm assuming if things continue, I'm sure troops are going to be sent too. So to outline it, really tough situation. What are your thoughts on this issue? I think we should scale it back and look at what's happening in Taiwan and see if we can see a connection. Because I think it's pretty clear that Putin and um, the president of China are colluding to test the Biden administration with military encroachment in Taiwan and the Black Sea. And so what these two warships indicate is kind of like Biden saying, uh, you know, we're mobilizing troops. I dare you to sink them or, you know, take action against that. And so it would it would make it appear that. Um, that Russia is instigating the war, whereas, um, but I think the excuses they're making are also pretty lame. Like, uh, you know, you throw around numbers like 40,000, 80,000, 15,000, but NATO's been, NATO's been mobilizing troops around the Russian area, protecting their allies ever since the war in Ukraine started. So, uh, I, I don't buy into a lot of that talk. I think it's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of pride involved in nations uh, not wanting to look weak. I do think that we're watching the end of the USA role uh, in policing the world because right now China and Russia are, uh, you know, the book 1984 by George Orwell is turning out to be almost prophetic because there's the Oceania, which is like American and the UK, mm -hmm. and they're pitted against Eurasia. Uh, which is, you know, Russia and that kind of area, and then East Asia, which is China, you know, all the Asian superpowers. And so they were kind of pitted against each other all throughout that book. Although in recent history, it was not allowed for that to develop, but now especially things are ramping up. So they've been running tests with all the proxy wars in Syria, Afghanistan, you know, Russia was involved in all those. Um, I'd say, you know, even looking at China's involvement in the Korean War, so it's all coming to a head, I think. Yeah, I definitely think that both sides have acted aggressively here. Um, you know, Putin could have, have taken different measures to de-escalate de this situation. Um, Biden also, 
acted aggressively. He could have de-escalated better as well. But now we're in a situation where I picture it as like two silverback gorillas standing in front of each other, like beating their chest, trying to intimidate each other, um, just to see if with like these motions they could get the other two back down. So if war does break out, um, it wouldn't be just a war by the Black Sea. You know, this is a, this would be a very scary war. Both countries have a, a ton of nuclear power and missiles. So, and I'm sure they're going to be used. Every city in the U.S. potentially could burn. Every city in Russia could potentially burn. This is a very ser- serious situation. And I don't think the full gravity of this situation is assessed by these presidents saying, you know, it could definitely be, all I'm saying is it could definitely be handled be- better. Just putting your troops there and saying, hey, move your troops or else, you know, I have these other troops here. And if it was any smaller country, this tactic might work. But countries like America and Russia that have enough nuclear power to, you know, m- make the world burn three times over, it's just something that shouldn't be played around or shouldn't be tossed around like that. So in conclusion, um, listening to all these stories, it's easy to get carried away with emotions. Obviously, there's tense situations in the U.S. with riots, cancel culture. There's big corporation protesting Georgia laws. Um, And the state of the world isn't that much better. You know, there's the U.S. pulling out troops from Afghanistan, possibly having ulterior motives. Who knows how the Taliban is going to react to all of this. Um, There's also the whole situation with Russia, Ukraine, America. There's tensions are building up there. Um, looking Looking at all of this, how do you not panic? How do you not think about the possibility of civil war in the U.S. or possibly a World War III? And it's very easy to go down a path that um, of worry, of fear, maybe of hate to certain people or certain nature, um, certain nations. Um, however, as Christians, I don't think we should panic and worry. If we were to panic about all of these things, then we definitely have gray hair within a year and. with our panic and worry, we still wouldn't be able to achieve anything. So the Bible calls us to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, um, let your requests be made known to God. So I think the key takeaway here for all of us is not to worry about these things, but pray about it and seek God more than ever. Um, And especially don't pick sides um, because God doesn't pick sides or love one country more than the other, one race or one nation more than the other. So why would we in this situation? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of turmoil on the global scale. And for this last story, let's bring it a little closer to home. In the last few years, we've seen a real push for normalizing transgender people and validating their position on what gender they want to be. This comes on the heels of a very local and shrill movement to integrate the parts of society that have separate conditions for men and women in the name of feminism. Some key instances are CEO positions, STEM programs, political positions. Anything seen as desirable has seen attacks, accusing the institutions of sexism, and to break up the old boys club, smash the glass ceiling, and other commonly used phrases. There are some relics that have survived and remain separate, but they're being attacked under new adversaries like transgenderism and equity. I'm hoping that some events from this week can shed some light on this and we can make a case on why we need to fight this. So Afia is a Belgian transgender woman, meaning a man that thinks he's a woman. And I'm not being disparaging. He's 46-year-old and has been identifying as a woman for 15 months. And it shows. He's been making efforts. Thank you, Alex. To join oh, in a, the picture, yeah. This person has been making efforts to join in a convent as a nun, claiming that, quote, 
All my life, I've wanted to go to monastery. As a man, I've had a tough life. Now I want peace. Also saying, quote, My calling is stronger than ever. If necessary, I will go to the Pope in the Vatican. Despite not being accepted into any convent yet, this person is persistent in the search and already calling himself Sister Ifa. So the Catholic Church, not the Pope, has released a Declaration of Truths in 2009 that says, quote, It is rebellion against natural and divine law and a grave sin that a man may attempt to become a woman by mutilating himself or even by simply declaring himself to be such, or that a woman may in like manner attempt to become a man, or to hold that the civil authority has the duty or the right to act as if such things were or may be possible and legitimate. So far, allowing men who identify as women to enter female-only spaces has not gone over well in other spaces, for instance, female prisons. So Ifia says he's prepared to appeal to the Vatican. We can't speak for the Pope, but judging by his track record, uh, what do you think he would weigh in if it comes to that? I'm questionable about the Pope because he was, uh, he's on record for... Basically, so there was a, in Argentina, I think, there was a, a sister or a nun who opened up a home to minister to transgender people. And so uh, he basically commended her and said, you know, I hope uh, everything, you know, something like, I hope everything goes well for you and mm-hmm. your girls. And those girls that he's referring to are uh, men from the ages of 40 to 70 that want to be women. So why is it important that this doesn't get through? Because it seems like IFIA is legitimately trying like she's going to convents and asking like hey can i be like at the lowest order um i just want in basically um but let's look at this from another angle so in 2013 the department of defense lifted a ban that prohibited women from serving in combat roles now eight years later petitioners are making a case with the aclu that the draft discriminates against men by leaving out women. The Biden administration is trying to discourage the Supreme Court judges from hearing this case because uh, it's any reconsideration of the requirements would be premature, according to them. So let's look at some numbers. Women make up 20% of military personnel at the moment. Women played a hugely overlooked role in defending against German troops in World War II. Over 800,000 women served mostly as nurses and medics, but also combat roles like snipers, pilots, machine gunners. Not that the Soviet Union is anything to emulate, but the fact remains. Nowadays, there are many roles where the physical component is negligible. You, uh, you, know, you still don't have any female Navy SEALs, but a woman should be able to fly a drone just as well as any man, right? So according to modern rhetoric uh, and this kind of abstract uh, equation, you know, in the spirit of equity, there's absolutely no reason women shouldn't be drafted. Right. I definitely think whether it's talking about drafting women or, um, you know, transgender people competing in sports, I think there's a clear difference between men and women. So if a person wants to become the other gender or take on something that's of the other gender, it goes a lot further than just um, talking differently and dressing differently and even taking hormone therapy. Women have a higher fat percentage in their bodies, while males have a higher muscle percentage, higher bone density high testosterone levels. So if you start partaking in sports or activities which put you up against the other gender, you have to realize that hormone therapy or training will only go so far. Um, And personally, a story that came to mind is of Australian handball handball player Hannah Mouncey, who was a male, um, is now a transgender female playing um, female international handball. So Hannah is 6'2", and some sources say 6'3", weighing in at 230 pounds. So you can watch the video on YouTube. Hannah manhandles 
these women playing handball and one, at one point three females tried holding on to him but they couldn't stop him so and another fact is um so uh, Allison Felix who's Olympic world and US champion um she ran the 400 meter dash and her world record is 49.26 seconds but just in the single year of 2017 men and boys around the world outperformed her more than 15,000 times so clearly there's a difference and I think when you're putting a woman in the role of a male there's definitely certain things that even with hormone therapy even with training she she can't achieve because of her Biology. Exactly. So I, I don't think that we should support this just because we want to spite feminists and give them a taste of their medicine. You know, it's like, oh, you wanted equal rights here, go into battle. I think that's unfair. Absolutely. There can be women found that serve dutifully, effectively. But there are many roles that, you know, as we mentioned, historically and physiologically, women are greatly disadvantaged. So there have been studies done um, about, you know, women serving in the military and uh, combat roles, potentially. Uh, women are five times more likely to be sexually assaulted, according to data from 2015. Uh, women are 7.5 times more likely to suffer injuries during training, according to a study by the British military in 2011. So the issue here is not, do we think they're competent? The issue is compulsion. Because what happens when the positions are flooded and the women are forced... What happens when the positions are flooded and the women are forced to take part in the more dangerous and grueling roles where they are at a greater disadvantage. You know, as a virtuous nation, we would never compromise our dedication to protect women and children. You know, as a virtuous nation, we should never compromise our dedication to protect women and children. It would be unwise, not only in terms of military strategy and effectiveness, but more importantly, it will compromise this virtue in the name of kind of a shallow, gender-abolishing uh, egalitarianism, basically. It's all being sacrificed at that altar. So here's where we can draw parallels with the story of Aifia, the transgender trying to be a nun. Because as a man, you've had a tough life, you think you will find peace by living as a woman? The only reason the option exists for you to secrete yourself like this is that centuries of Judeo-Christian values have facilitated those conditions for you. The fact that women are viewed and honored as a complementary, maybe more fragile sex, has been a benefit and a preservative to our society. It's created safe spaces for women, and it incentivizes men to take on the more risky, protective role that they excel in. It's better to offend, uh, maybe by turning away this, uh, this IFIA, um, rather than place someone in the way of physical harm. Uh, to violate these boundaries is not empowering, it's disempowering. It's not a step forward, it's a step backward. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. As the society around you continues sitting in the pan, oblivious to the rising temperature, we won't let it go unnoticed. Here at LifeRing, we will continue paying attention, calling out lies, inconsistencies, immoral ideologies, and we will continue to encourage others to stay more aware of what's going on in the world around them. And as always, we'd like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He is the most important person to be aware of. He died for us all so that as we become aware of our fallen sinful nature, we could be made new in him. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.